Hi, uh, welcome to Expert Talk. This is the interview series with thought leaders in the AI analytics and transformation space. My name is Mahadevan Ayer, Maha for short. I'm your host for today. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Manage Marketplace for on-demand analytics services. Our guest for today is Anirban Nandi. Anirban is the vice president and head of AI products and business analytics at Rakuten. Before working with Rakuten, Anirban worked with the Landmark Group. He was instrumental in setting up their offshore analytics center, supporting both their business in GCC as well as in India. And before Landmark Group, Anirban has worked with Target in multiple areas of uh, retail analytics. Anirban speaks frequently at industry forums on AI and analytics. He's also an extensive blogger, uh, and I'm sure uh, listeners will have great insights uh, listening to his answers today. Anirban, pleasure having you. Thank you for making time. Thank you, Maha, for the invitation, and it's an absolute pleasure for me to be part of the series along with you and your team. Great, thank you. So, uh, Anirban, um, You've now been over 16 years leading various analytics initiatives, you know, leadership positions in AI, analytics, and data science. Uh, so what, according to you, are some of the critical success factors uh, in delivering impactful analytics? Uh, and when you talk of that, it will also be great to hear your thoughts on the importance of situational context or situational awareness while solving the problem. Sure, thank you, Ma. Um, let me speak from my own experience. The first and the foremost thing um, is to have proper business alignment. One needs to first change the culture of an organization to a more data-driven culture in order to make an impactful analytics strategy and team. Everyone in the organization should believe in the impact of uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, which it can make and work towards that. Without this alignment, taking data-driven decisions and implementing AI ML models will be increasingly difficult. Once this alignment is there, the next um, should be to create a proper data strategy and KPI that needs to be achieved. A vision and strategy without a proper measurable goal will never be achieved. Once the mindset is created and people are aligned, an organization should focus on quality data that can be collected and stored in an efficient, error-free, smooth, and continuous manner. A proper understanding of the data is also crucial. Analytics is entirely dependent on data, and if the data is not of high quality and clean, it will be a situation of garbage in, garbage out. Finally, it is important to have the right resources, the right platform, technology, and skill sets are important to make the best use of available data. Without the right tools and skilled people, it will be next to impossible to take optimum data-driven decisions and implement these techniques in live business. In all this, business and domain knowledge is extremely important. Every business and even parts of it are very different from each other. For example, banking, healthcare, and retail are three very different types of businesses. Banking might have very confidential customer information, whereas in healthcare testing, certain treatments before making them live are important, and retail might be all about customer satisfaction. Hence, since the nature of these three businesses is so different, the database, technique, guidelines, models, and the people working 
all have to be very specific to them. Without having proper domain knowledge, it would be impossible to create a successful analytics AI department that can take businesses to success while taking care of other social and legal aspects. That's my thought. No, excellent. Now, uh, I want to probe that a little further. So you, you started off with Target, uh, then you worked with Landmark Group, uh, and now you are with Rakuten. I mean, all of them are consumer-focused companies, so to speak. Uh, Rakuten, obviously, in a you know, slightly different line of business compared to what Tesco and uh, Landmark Group is in. I wanted to understand uh, from you, uh, what are some of the approaches to building a well-rounded uh, you know, capability around domain in that particular business or company? And, uh, and if you can expand it in the context of uh, the industry that the company operates in, uh, the type of company culture that exists, uh, and the level of analytics maturity that is in the organization. So do these things as factors, you know, play a role uh, in the way one goes about building, you know, uh, capability and domain knowledge? Sure, uh, very interesting question again. Um... Yes, my experiences, uh, I have been long timers associated with uh, three different organizations. The first one being Target. So let me talk about Target. I've been really lucky in my professional life that I've been associated with um, AI firms like Target, Landmark, um, Rakuten currently. And when I started with Taku, uh, uh, Targets primarily, um, it the team was really, really small. Okay. Target is the second largest retailer in US after Walmart, right? And uh, there's a lot of focus on innovation there, okay? It's a pretty matured organization from a business standpoint, from a tech standpoint, from an AI standpoint. But when I started, the journey was not that, okay? They were building the capabilities way back in 2005, 2007 of the world, right? So I've been part of their growth journey associated with AI, which gave me a lot of opportunity uh, to work on the most cutting edge uh, algorithms and techniques at that point of time. So with Target, my experience grew, but the innovation culture okay, at Target helped me uh, learn a lot of things. Post-Target, when I joined Landmark Group, it was completely different. Okay, Landmark Group is one of the largest conglomerates in the world. Everything was most of the decisions in the business was taken uh, basis gut feeling. Okay. And um, I've been part of the landmark group uh, data sciences and analytics team from the very beginning. So I saw how data literacy is very, very important. Okay. Uh, I got a lot of opportunities to work directly with the CEOs. And they said that what's the value that AI is driving for my business? We have been running a very successful business for a very long time. How would AI change the landscape for us? So therefore, going after something which, uh, which can drive immediate business impact, show the KPIs around it, gives the confidence to the business. While this was happening, at Landmark Group, we invested a lot in, uh, like I said, the word data literacy within the organization. What, can, what value can data drive for the business and what is the delta? It's also important that we explain a delta. It's not like overnight at Landmark Group, with the introduction of the AI and the data sciences team, the, re uh, the revenue of the GMS could be 2x times, right? So that was my scenario there, okay? So the culture of innovation, the culture of experimenting was very different when I was at Target and versus when I joined uh, at Landmark Group, which was pretty uh, 
in the nascent stage with regards to AI and uh, uh, data sciences. Rakuten, okay, it's another uh, big conglomerate. The size of the conglomerate is, uh, uh, and at least from a number of business standpoint, is bigger than Landmark Group. But again, uh, this is a technology company at the heart. Okay, uh, the business revolves around the technology, and technology is very very key at Rakuten. <clears throat> so therefore, I think. Uh, the speed, speed, speed culture at Rakuten, okay, is very, very interesting, and which also allows us to experiment a lot, okay. Do something, test fast, fail fast, is the mantra there, and getting things done irrespective of how difficult it is. So culture definitely plays a very, very important role, uh, at least uh, in my experience across the three different organizations. I have uh, experienced three different types of cultures. Um, Target and Rakuten could be somewhat similar, but they have their own uh, nuances and differences as well. Okay, but uh, culture definitely plays a very important role. And um, having at the end of the day, like I was mentioning in your previous question, uh, having business alignment, having driving towards a business goal, showing KPI impact is very very important. So now you spoke of KPI impact and business impact, right? Now. Um, so if you look at the spectrum of, you know, the type of analytics projects and initiatives, analytics or AI initiatives and projects, you have part of it, which is literally quick turnaround, you know, trying to solve the immediate problems in the business or immediate challenges the business is facing. It could be about, you know, sales degrowing, plateauing, conversion dropping, churn happening, whatever, whatever. And then there is the more strategic, longish, deep thought through breakthrough innovation breakthrough uh, you know improvement type of stuff uh, right um, so would like to understand more about your experience in terms of broadly what is your experience been in terms of the split and uh, what is the type of projects where is easy or better to create more business connect uh, is there one against the other or is it goes jointly and how does one balance for this as the analytics leader okay. So I think uh, quick turnaround, practical recommendations, uh, and longish but uh, deep breakthrough models um, are both required to build uh, successful data-driven organizations. Suppose the marketing team needs help in running their upcoming campaigns, and they need analytics team help in getting a list of target customers to maximize the ROI. In this situation, you will get uh, no time to research and build a deep breakthrough model. You have to resort to a quicker and more practical modeling approach to support the immediate business needs. At the same time, an organization can't only rely having these type of models if they want to take their organization <coughs> to the next level in the long run. For example, a specific ML-based uh, feature needs to be added to the company's product more robust, well-researched, and well-thought-through deep models have to be used in those cases to have a durable product feature and maximize customer satisfaction. So it is really, so it really depends on the need on the short-term or the long-term goals of an organization. I believe the more mature an organization, the more it needs to be focused on long-term robust models as the, as their quick turnaround around practical applications are already in place. But yes, definitely it will have its own exceptions as well. And it depends on the exact scenario, whether you want to go with a quick turnaround 
solution or a long term um, deep breakthrough kind of model. So is it fair to say that companies which are the initial stage of analytics maturity could be possibly loaded more in favor of quick turnaround, tell me what I should do type of analytics as opposed to more mature organizations who have possibly, like you said, got it to a self-help basis, data literacy is high. And so their ability to focus on more breakthrough, you know, deep models is higher. Is, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. I think, um, first of all, absolutely, it's a completely fair assessment. And that's something that I've experienced through my journeys at different organizations as well. Uh, maturity is very, very important here. Okay. Um, and therefore, for organizations which are relatively starting their journey in the AI data sciences space, you'll see a lot more focus around data engineering as well. Okay. Getting the data in the right place, uh, doing some basic analysis, insights, providing targeting lists, all of them will be heavy loaded in the beginning of the journey. Okay. Once you attain a certain bit of maturity curve, those will not go away, by the way. Those will, like you said, get automated through the different uh, AI processes. Okay? And then once those resources get free up, they focus more on the long term approach. Excellent. Now let's talk of one more uh, area, which is, um, you know, as the, you know, as the market continue to intensify, the, you know, the technology pace of changes continue to increase, right? Data is also getting created at a faster pace. Um, my own experience has been companies often, while they have a lot of possibly, they they put a lot of focus on the data which is inside, and you know over a period of time through data engineering and clean up, get it to a particular level of, uh, you know, usability, so to speak, right? <clears throat> there is a not sufficient possibly focus on trying to see what type of outside data is there and how that can be married with internal data to narrate a story which is more market facing, and hence. You know, and hence also gives the analytics team the ability to engage on equal terms with the business, at least in terms of knowledge, you know, business knowledge, right? Um, again, you know, your thoughts on, you know, have you encountered this? Are companies now changing to also have an equal focus on outside in uh, insights from a data perspective, from, you know, similar industry perspective or other industry perspectives? Are there some learnings that uh, in, and experiences that you can share? Another fantastic question, Maha. Uh, I think it might not be about the need. It might be about using already discovered knowledge without reinventing the wheel every time. For we example, have seen and done. Sorry. For example, I, I let me elaborate okay. a little more. Okay. okay. So uh, we have seen and done it uh, before as well. Starting from using knowledge from game theoretical approaches into analytics like SHAP to different ML branches altogether, like transfer learning, knowledge from other fields or sectors have been used on a regular basis. This becomes even more important for fields where data science, where data is scared. For example, in healthcare, it becomes very difficult to get certain medical images, and we often end up using images from other sectors to train our model. Okay. The same is true for knowledge from other industries and geographies as well. Although every industrial location is different uh, from the other, certain things like how a customer behaves towards certain products will never change. So with a slight tick, tweak, we can use this information to fine tune our models. Finally, it becomes a need where there is no information available for a certain industrial location. 
for example new business launch in new countries we have to use the knowledge from existing countries to change it to suit the new location and then apply the required analytics and with all of this happening i think there are a lot of new uh, startups which actually provide this data which does not exist within a certain exam uh, organization which should be used to the optimal so any 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 examples of external data sources or i, I mean one talks of google analytics obviously google data and all that but are there other examples of uh, you know um, where one could actually look at getting this data which is industry specific or parallel industry specific or is it for brainstorming how does it happen um geo is a very good example okay sorry there geo geo okay geo sdk is implemented across different uh, your devices those data could be collected okay let's say uh, maha you are you own a retail organization and most of your presence right now is let's say in india okay and you want to expand it to maybe sri lanka and bangladesh okay the first and foremost is to assume that the customer base would be similar but what kind of customers are coming okay how much time they are spending all of this is required to maybe open a new retail store or an online business in a new country right so these kind of data through geo sdks uh, are available right now you have to partner with the right firm to actually get the data okay it's all anonymized data but it gives you a very good starting point to start a new business the second one is uh, we talk a lot about digital transformation and when i was using the word reinventing the wheel here okay some organizations want to embark into the journey of digital transformation others have already used it maybe organizations consulting organizations have helped those firms succeed in their journey of digital transformation right work with those consulting firms understand again in an anonymized way what has worked well what has not worked well okay this will only fast track your digital transformation it is never going to slow you down so having the thought that only internal data works no it definitely works but getting the external perspective is also very very important right so so you answered not just about the fact that data you're saying there's also uh, outside uh, capability and knowledge that is available that also should be leveraged absolutely excellent okay now let's talk about a topic which uh, you know is is rather being spoken about a lot more today which is the concept of explainability and explainable ai uh, right and i i think radio article somewhere in one of your blogs uh, you know where you had spoken about explainability and accuracy where you said in a decision tree possibly the explainability can be higher but accuracy levels can be constrained deep learning models can possibly predict a lot more accurately Uh, but explainability is a challenge and you have spoken of a few factors i you know if you can just go into those factors that you spoke about in the blog in terms of uh, control and regulation and all that so if you can just explain that and uh, you know how does one practically then take a look at it saying uh, you know what to use when and you know with some practical examples sure first of all uh, explainable ai is a topic which is very very close to my heart okay Uh, end of 2021, uh, I actually published a book called "Interpreting Machine Learning Models: Learn Model Interpretability and Explainability Methods." Okay, 
So I co-authored with one of my colleagues, uh, Aditya, and uh, it's been doing pretty well, actually. It's, it's one of the first uh, books on explainable AI in the India market. So even in my previous, uh, when you asked me about, uh, when, you, when we were talking about the last question, okay, I spoke about SHAPs. SHAP is one of the explainable AI models, right? See, we have to understand um, why did this concept of explainable AI came into the picture, okay? At the end of the day, people run organizations. Technology do not run organizations. Okay? Technology is an enabler to the final outcome. Right? So now if people run organizations and as AI practitioners, the only thing that we throw at business people is complete bag box solutions. Just accept that this is going to be the probability. Okay. Right. Just accept that this is the outcome of a decision tree. Right. It becomes very, very difficult for them to actually understand and believe in the solution. Explainable AI actually helps them understand why a reason, the reason behind why an AI model is doing this. Okay. A simple example could be your loan has gotten rejected by a private bank. Okay. As a customer, you can approach to the private bank and say, why did my loan get up? Okay. And similarly, it could not be approved as well. Okay, so you could up, approach them as well, right? Now, explainable AI helps not just at the customer level, but also at the global level to reason behind why something has happened for you. Okay. So overall, I think this field is only going to go deeper. Okay, a lot more research is happening. It all started with uh, shaps of the world. Now there is a lot of work happening around Lime, okay, which actually helps you go deeper into the uh, features as well uh, behind AI models. And then there is a new field called counterfactual explanations, okay, uh, which actually helps you understand that if there is a feature and if I change the feature by X percentage through our marketing campaigns, maybe the customer will move to the next segment as well. So these are all outcomes of the explainable AI field, um, something which is very, very close to my heart. And again, this, like I said, this field is only uh, going to grow because people are not, people are, people are still going to get associated with organizations and we have to provide explanations to business people. Very nicely articulated. Okay, now let's come to the next one, which is actually doing the rounds today. Generating yes. AI, chat GPT, right? I mean, one has been hearing of, low code and no code platforms for quite some time, but I think ChatGPT takes it literally to the next level. I don't know if you can call it a no code or low code platform, but it is what it is, right? I mean, and and so uh, then the ability to really be able to, uh, you know, define what you want to really look for and then prompt it properly, right? And then this whole concept of prompt engineering is now becoming, uh, you know, more and more talked about, right? Um, so your thoughts on that so i mean right now everybody says prompt engineering is the next hot thing in place um should business guys do prompt engineering will analysts still do prompt engineering will prompt engineering make someone like uh, me who's been more uh, a business facing guy rather than i know hardcore uh, you know uh, ai or ml guy so to speak who runs programs like that uh, will it help people like me so you know so if you can just uh, you know spend some time to Speak about what you think of prompt engineering and how should it be used by people at different levels of experience, right? Uh, both business, tech, as well as transformation broadly. Okay. 
so uh, the hottest topic right now uh, in the industry, right? Uh, so yeah. before I go into prompt engineering, let me talk a little bit about large language models and generative AI in general. Okay. So uh, large language models and generative AI in general, uh, in my personal opinion, will have a wide impact on society. Okay. Uh, it has the potential to change how people currently search, acquire, and summarize knowledge. In fact, if not, it's in current form. It has the potential to even give tough competition to Google in future. I think. Okay. So much so that Google, uh, that even Google might come up with something very similar or even better, maybe. Okay. EdTech and the contact center uh, industry are likely to change completely with human-like chatbots right now. Okay. When it comes to research and science, uh, it might not come up with a completely new idea by itself, but definitely it will help people in automating other stuff um, and thus free up their time to focus on answering more important questions. A lot of services which earlier required skills can be done through generative AI in future, and hence it will definitely have an impact on the overall analytics services. Now, prompt engineering to your specific question around prompt engineering, I think it's a part of the large language models. It's how you fine tune your large language models through prompt engineering. Okay. Again, in my personal opinion, business people are the will eventually become the best at prompt engineering. Okay, because they know what is the outcome that they want from uh, the generative AI models or the large language models, right? So like you said, for somebody like you who has uh, knowledge across different programs, you know what outcome do you want? Okay, prompt engineer, when you uh, prompt engineer, the existing large language models will only become better. Okay, and it will start throwing more desired outcomes. Okay? Without the right prompt engineering, I think uh, a lot of the large language models would start hallucinating as well. So uh, if you ask a research scientist or a data scientist to do prompt engineering, he will do it. He will do an OK job. But if you ask somebody who is in between an AI and the business space, I think he is the best person to do it. A completely business person will again, I think, do an OK job just like a complete scientist or an engineer. Okay, So somewhere uh, in the middle would be the best uh, person to uh, do a prompt engineering. And in my point of view, I think uh, see a few years back, blockchain came into the picture. There was a lot of hype. Today, uh, a lot of people in the industry are saying that, okay, generative AI, okay, might be a hype which will not continue for long. I don't think that is going to be the case. Blockchain came in with a completely new technology, okay? Generative AI is an augmentation or an or an extension of artificial intelligence field, okay? Which basically means that AI is there. It's just another subfield within that, right? So for practitioners, for organizations, for businesses which have been okay with AI as a field and they use AI to actually drive business impact, generative AI and the use cases with generative AI will make it even more stronger. So that's what I feel about. No, absolutely agree. So it's almost like uh, like we have multiple ad tech and martech and all that is also like some sense bistec type of stuff, right? Absolutely. Between, someone who understands this part and also understand the business part, uh, right? So business has to get more comfortable technology and possibly the way ChatGPT works, it will or generative AI works, it will make them more comfortable with that because you don't need to know program. You can say something and you know you respond to it. Um, Equally for uh, analysts also for them because they can ask some business questions and learn from that, the learning could be faster. 
right completely and, and and also great point on you know the fact that uh, you know generative ai is likely to see a lot more adoption than block, blockchain my own perspective is blockchain requires a lot of stakeholders to get involved before you can see an impact of it right so you cannot do blockchain if you don't have one person and one person right you, you're not talking to a, a a bot there or you know a machine there right you you need two entities who are going to get a benefit of it before you know you can make some sensor of it as opposed to generative ai where you know you're talking to a machine and the machine is responding to you based on other knowledge right i think the, the friction for adoption uh, is you know is largely reduced right when i do a generative ai and the more people talk like you said the data gets trained and so more people get you know lesser hallucination so to speak right whereas for blockchain the two has to go to three three has to go to four four has to go to five for it to start creating impact it's an impact of networks whereas here it's impact of you know engagement you know i i also i believe that you know uh, generative ai llm and and then you know dali to mid journey and some of the other stuff that is happening where uh, you can actually take data ask some basic questions create visualization all that will you know uh, possibly see a lot of adoption a lot of innovation there as well so let's see so okay. just to extend on that point um, i i was talking to uh, some colleagues uh, last weekend okay and we mm. were having this discussion about large language models have always been in place it's not like large language models have this is the first time people have been hearing about large language. no that's not the case but what is so different about chat gpt then okay at the back end of chat gpt is still large language models chat gpt i think is a perfect example of a product okay which is built to satisfy customer needs the use to the ease to use chat gpt makes it so uh, valuable for this entire customer base right i think even a class 4 student can uh, pre 4 class student uh, ages less than 10 uh, will be able to use chat gpt okay now while that is an end user product it's very very easy to use the previous set of large language models were only made available for ai engineers okay you have to know how to code okay you have to know how to integrate your apis all of that has changed okay and most of the companies right now uh, again going back to the concept of prompt engineering will always use the apis of the available uh, large language models prompt engineering it prompt engineer it make a interface which is easily available for prompt engineering as well that is where the value will come in if you ask a semi analytics or semi data scientist and a semi business guy to go and code that wouldn't work so that creating that interface for prompt engineering is also very very which I makes totally life very agree. very easy i agree and i think the next part which you're going to see very soon is voice integration into that uh, you know most people will be very comfortable just talking into it and getting uh, you know some answers something which they can see and keep prompting it as opposed to really you know i mean people will still type but i'm saying the whole thing of that level of friction will also continue to reduce that's the way i see great okay now let's talk of so we spoke of future of ai prompt engineering we spoke of explainable and a few things there and you know how it is going to get easier and easier to use adoption is going to be far you know far less uh, of a friction experience 
So the friction is going to reduce, you know, increasingly. And then there's the other thing, which is the future of work that is happening, right? Um, I mean, COVID essentially disrupted our way of working. And then, you know, most people have moved to a particular way. None have actually come back to the original. They have come back to maybe a hybrid in between. Somebody has actually gone right and stayed there. Somebody's come back to the middle. Nobody's come extreme, you know, uh, to the center of where they were type of stuff, right? Number one. Absolutely. Number two is it's also led to uh, practices of working remotely, uh, uh, led to practices of working fractionally, uh, you know, led to practices of working uh, when I want, where I want from, you know, type of stuff, right? Um, and it's also led to a lot of people also moving to uh, moving to a, a, a level of freelancer migration has also happened, where people after COVID, there's been some sort of a, a mental mindset change where some people said, okay, I'm better off, you know, having a quality of life and then, you know, I will work as much as I need to type of stuff, right? And and that is where the whole, uh, you know, the great resignation or whatever was spoken about, you know, a lot of stuff happened, right? Now it's come back, it's not gone back, so it is flip-flopping there, right? Yep. Um, so, again, your thoughts on as in the future of AI, as it, you know, on one side as access to data, access to insights, access to, uh, you know, business understanding becomes increasingly easier, access to collaboration and understanding that becomes increasingly easier. And on the other side, this whole uh, people mindset in the way they look at work changes. Where do you see future of AI in some way impacting future of work or vice versa? Do you see something somewhere converging? What are your thoughts on that? So it is difficult to predict the future, um, even for an AI practitioner like me. If you notice, 10 years back, we all thought AI will automate all the non-creative jobs first. But today, the reality is very, very different. AI is actually impacting lots of creative jobs like image, videos, or text creation. Having said that, I believe it will be difficult to caption circulating around social media a few days back. AI will not replace jobs. Okay. A person using AI will. Okay. And I want you to hear this one more time AI will not replace jobs. A person using AI will. Okay. So AI will become more and more common in workplaces in and as in our life. Most of the repetitive uh, decision making processes will be done by AI along with jobs that follow specific solution structures. People like scientists or researchers will become more productive and can spend time thinking about complex solutions rather than spending uh, their time on say coding because uh, AI can do most of the coding for them in future. I believe lots of jobs will change uh, their current shape and form. For example, contact center jobs, and we have spoken about it, right? Uh, the more we can create human-like chatbots, the more uh, these jobs will change. Even the programmer's role might change, um, completely change with AI doing most of the heavy duty work. While some of these jobs will uh, be completely gone, I don't think there is any reason to panic. There will always be new type of jobs that will come up. So future and work, uh, future of AI and future of work will definitely influence each other. And I think uh, it will be influencing in the right direction and positive direction. One important thing is for us to be open to accept that this change is going to happen. and. Keep ourselves abreast with the industry and move with the 
changes that is happening. If you get stuck in the past that I used to do this work and I want to continue doing that work, then it becomes a challenge in life. So move with times is my recommendation. Yeah, so as future of AI comes, you're saying that uh, obviously things which can happen, heavy lifting, which is uh, possibly low value will continue to happen far faster. Ability to contextualize and you know, value creating and the, the value layer of people which where they can value add is where it will keep on moving, right? The, the people capability will need to be there, right? So now, uh, and so then given this particular thing uh, where, you know, where earlier it was mostly about intellect, right? I mean, um, when I say mostly about intellect at leadership, will we still talk of, you know, EQ versus IQ and all that. But the point is from an AI perspective, analytics perspective, uh, the general feeling is, okay, these are the brainy guys in organization, right? These are the guys who understand intellect is possibly a given, IQ is a given and type of stuff, right? But as that particular IQ gets more and more automated, for lack of a better word, right? The EQ becomes more important, which is, so uh, is it fair to say that, uh, you know, while all things being equal, right, the ability to engage with people, the ability to communicate and collaborate, uh, and ability to think differently uh, is going to be more important because the linear processes will be taken over by the machines and the AI. So the ability to think creatively and non-linear will become more important. Is is that a fair, uh, you know, uh, thought? Absolutely, absolutely. See, the basics are not going to change. Communication is very important. Collaboration is very, very important. Okay, so the basics will never change. Okay, it's just that the technology surrounding the basics will keep changing. Correct. Okay. See, over the years, I don't think we have stopped eating or stopped sleeping, right? Correct. Right. The way we eat, uh, the kind of food we eat, okay, keeps changing, and we evolve with that. Now, so that, so in my point of view, the basics will always continue. Uh, we should work around the basics and uh, be how fast can you adapt to the changing environment with the basics at the center of everything is the most critical thing. So adaptability is also you know very very important. Yes. So this brings to me last question. Um, sure. Given your, you know, uh, your own experience and, and you've had a great career, right? I'm sure you have an even, you know, greater career ahead. What would be your top two or three things that you would want to advise uh, to a, you know, a budding or aspiring data analyst or data scientist um, in terms of basic skills or ways of working or behaviors that they need to embrace? Uh, to have a long-term impactful career in, in the data science practice or transformation practice, which you will. I think the first and the foremost one is we have to understand that uh, the field of data sciences is now available for everyone. Okay. Uh, with open source being available, uh, anyone can actually learn. Uh, it's not just open source. So many training courses available. So um, open source availability of open source algorithms, all of that. The field um, is now made available to anybody. Okay. My first and foremost advice would be, like I was saying, don't forget your basics. Understand what's happening behind the algorithms. When you are 
aspiring to become a data scientist. Don't be a package scientist, be a data scientist actually. Okay, anybody can pull an algorithm. Okay, write a code to pull an algorithm, create a model and generate output. Okay, understanding what's happening behind the algorithm is very, very, very vague. So that's why I start, keep using this word. Please be a data scientist. Don't be a package scientist. Okay. The second one is uh, you have to understand the world is moving slowly. Okay, or it's moving at a very not slowly. It's moving actually at a very fast pace towards engineering capabilities. Okay, don't get stuck as an analyst. Don't get stuck as a scientist. Okay, be a well-rounded professional. Okay. Somebody who can do analysis, somebody who can do sciences work, but somebody who can engineer and productionize. The moment if you are unable to productionize your solution, your business impact is always in an offline mode. OK, and the third one is the importance of the domain and the business knowledge. Over a period of, let's say, 30, 40 years in your professional life, OK, you will change businesses. Please adapt yourself to the different businesses and give importance to the different uh, domain knowledge that you gather. Okay. Some things can be a lift and shift from one business to another. Other things cannot be done as well. Okay, so that's why this is very, very important. To understand the basics, okay, have an engineering mindset which makes it large scale production level AI solutions and then the business. So this would be my. Excellent. So you're saying. Uh, the the. Um, one is the ability to uh, essentially understand from first principles so that you know so the ability to think and you know uh, figure out what is happening from a first principles perspective becomes extremely important so that you apply the right tools at the right place uh, right um, the second is your ability to really productionalize stuff because you know that's where the rubber meets the road and so for that having the well-rounded capability not just as a person who understands the ability to you know uh, analyze and uh, build algorithms and all that but also ability to data engineer so that you can eventually you know have the endpoint integration to the way it will actually get delivered to consumer and business um, and the third part like you said is about ensuring that you work closely with business and uh, uh, don't necessarily just uh, lift and uh, fix but have the ability to really you know ensure that it is made appropriate to that particular situation that you are in, right? So you Absolutely. learn from somewhere, but you also adapt and make it flexible to that particular situation that you are in. Excellent. So uh, Anirban, uh, I think we're almost there at around 47, 48 minutes. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank I you, think Maha. you know, very, very great, uh, practical, insightful answers. I mean, as was expected, uh, but I'm sure you know everybody will enjoy listening to you. And, and the fact that you were also able to articulate your experience of starting off with a target, very data mature uh, organization to landmark group where you were instrumental in building the data maturity upwards, right? And then Rakuten, uh, again, uh, you know, a company which is famous for data literacy, uh, you know, data maturity, as well as, you know, the whole experimentation thing, which is a, a, a typical, you know, uh, Japanese way of doing Kaizen, right? I think yes. that's what they seem to have adopted there. Um, so I'm sure, you know, uh, I, you know, enjoyed the conversation, learned a lot. I'm sure all our listeners will as well. So thank you so much for making time, Anirban. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Maha. Uh, absolute pleasure. And let's stay connected.
Thank you once again. Great. Thank you. Thank you.